I don't, just so everybody's not concerned, I'm definitely not contagious. The worst of it was, yeah. <laughs> The worst of it was yesterday, um, but as you know, as a mom, you still have to like do life. And so I found these handy dandy little things that are supposed to cut the duration, and it's like loaded with like ginseng and echinacea. And she may have overdosed a little. I think I did. So I think my sickness today is actually more my stomach is upset between like high levels of like elderberry and oregano, and then these pills, and you know, like I just overdid it. So little shaky, little dizzy, but I think it's more from that than. And sickness. You're going to want to really pay attention. She may talk fast. More, <laughs> she uh, may uh, talk a fast. A joke. Maybe not too funny. That's good. That's fine. I always talk fast. I love it. It would be abnormal for me to talk slow. Um, <clears throat> so. So. Yeah. What are we talking about today? We're talking about prayer and worship, hon. Mm-hmm. We, that's what we're going to nail down. Um, many of you know that we're about ready to, I think, what, next um, week... Um, do our intro to the prayer room. Mm-hmm. And so that we found it would be fitting to use this Sunday to, to talk about worship and prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot about this. We do a lot of this in our community. Um, just so you know, if you're new to Hilltop Church or if you've never been able to um, uh, be at a prayer set, um, we consider like prayer and worship to kind of be like the central um, I don't even know how I would explain it, but just like very central to all the ministry that we do. Matter of fact, and I hate to bore those who already are privy to this information, we didn't come into Cambridge uh, planting a church. We had no interest at all. Mm -mm. Um, God had sent us to Cambridge uh, to plant a house of prayer. Um, which at the time was very foreign to the body of Christ. You know, the house of prayer, like, what is that, you know? Um, But that's really how Hilltop was born, if you would. uh, um, Somewhere in the history of uh, the prayer room, God just started speaking to us about uh, being more intentional about discipling people and creating family. And we felt like the house of prayer doesn't really lend to those things, so... God in His grace moved us to start uh, Hilltop Church, which I think we're heading into our, maybe already into our fourth year. I don't know. Um, but that's just a bit of a brief snapshot of our story. Right. Um, and so we're here because uh, we believe um, even more so than a church, but not, not more so. I guess that would be the wrong way to put it. Prayer is so important to our mission here, at least for what we're called to do as a church. Um, and... Um, all these other things, church and our family here, you guys and our friendships that we have are just, they're perks. But really what sustains us, what really moves us and motivates us is the continued uh, song and, mm-hmm. and prayer that happens in a small um, room over there on Western Avenue. You should stop by if you haven't yet, but we'll get into more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we go ahead and... Um it's my heart and desire today for those of you. So Daryl and I are so unbelievably different. Like when we approach, you probably things, already tell. <laughs> when we approach things, like even when we were talking about, because this is obviously something we teach on regularly. Um, but when we were even talking about it, I always come from almost like the lens and the perspective 
that we're all starting from the same place. And uh, I don't want to say assuming, but I'm always kind of more assuming that everybody's living in like a certain reality and then I'm just going to bring us to, and he's always going, no, no, wait, you got to back true. up. Like, there's like, so <laughs> not he, everybody's living in that reality. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good reality. It's just not everybody's um, but he, so he really, I, I would say he more has a heart to like introduce people and like lay foundations and I'm a little more, okay, let's go beyond. Um, but with that said, it compliments you, one another. We it does. We do. We do. do a great job. Mm-hmm. Do a great job. Um, but with that said, I just want to say this is a topic that today we're giving like an overview of. This is a topic that could be taught. I actually, when I go out to Colorado, yep. I end up doing like 18 hours just on House of Prayer. There is so much. 18 hours of teaching. But there is so Crazy. much as far as the Word of God is regarding House of Prayer. So it's, it, you could just, and I would just encourage you, like, and I th- I'm saying this to say, I don't want to go get, get so caught up in building an argument <laughs> right. as right. far as like going back to the Old Testament, which we're going to do and going through the New Testament and doing it so exhaustively so that I can lay out for you the understanding systematically. I want us to catch the heart Amen. today. Um, and so there's two very different distinctions there because, you know, we could be so, go through so much scripture that your head is kind of rattled and give you so much history as far as the tabernacle of David and Solomon's temple. And I mean, if you just even, if anybody here has studied Israel's history, the temple is central to that history. And it is the same temple, like over, it's not like a different Jerusalem's temple. And so even in the New Testament, when Jesus is addressing something in the New Testament, he's speaking and it's back to the origins of this temple that he's speaking in. And so, like I said, there's so much that we could go through in detail, but it's important to us today that more than the details and the understanding here, that we catch the heart of it as a people because that's the heart that we desire, that we would be in a people of extraordinary worship, that we would be a people that live a lifestyle of worship. And so even if you don't walk away with all the facts and dates and timeline, if you walk away catching the heart and the vision for that. So let's just start um, in, the, in, in the New Testament, because as much as we are going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today, in the New Testament, Jesus himself highlights the call for the church to be a house of prayer. And what most of us don't realize is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all three of the Gospels, we see this scene of Jesus coming into the temple. And it's okay if you're not familiar with it, we're going to read it in detail. But we see this scene of Jesus coming into the temple and driving out the money. Angry Jesus. Angry Jesus. (laughs) There's very few times that you see Jesus take (laughs) physical action. Mm. Like he's moved to the point that he physically... He, he makes a whip, and he's throwing over tables. I mean, how many of you guys have that vision of Jesus? But that kind of passion is <laughs> How many of you raised your hands? I noticed. <laughs> but that kind of passion is evoked over the issue of his house. And that's where the prophet Isaiah prophesied that zeal for thine house has consumed me. Zeal for his house. And so we should understand what does Jesus have passion for? Actually, David himself prophesied about the Messiah coming into the te- temple with, with zeal, cleaning the house yeah. out. And so this spans all the way back to um, the book of Psalms. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so just throw that in there. Yeah. So basically, though, for, for us to all understand that there's, in all four Gospels, there's this account. And it's believed, if you study it out, 
that the account in John is actually a different account. Because if you find, it's actually in John 2, which is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the others, the other three accounts are at the end of Jesus' um, ministry right after his triumphal entry. So, you know, we all, we all do Palm Sunday, right? The whole Church of America, we wave our palms. Everybody goes to we church all know Palm, Palm Sunday. Sunday. But what happens after the triumphal entry? He goes into the temple and he cleanses it. Like, they're all celebrating, you know, that this is the Messiah and that he's riding in. But what is his first act when he comes into Jerusalem? He cleanses the temple. But it's actually believed that um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that those, that those are giving the account of what he did at the latter part of his life in ministry, as far as right after the triumphal entry. And John is actually at the beginning of his life in ministry, so that there, there, there's like this uh, several-year span. And what you find is that it just speaks of that at the initiation of his ministry and at the culmination of his ministry, that this is what he had passion Think for. About that. And Think this is what he was addressing and speaking into. And so we have this account, and we'll actually read it out of Matthew chapter 21 um, in verse 12. So like I said, this is right after the triumphal entry. In verse 12, it says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Then he said to them and went out into the city of Bethany and he lodged there. So we find this account where Jesus comes in and he overturns. This is the account where he's turning over the tables. The, uh, the account in John is where it speaks of the whip um, that he had there. But Jesus is actually quoting the prophet Isaiah because we actually find this original text in Isaiah. Do you want to share as far as Isaiah and yeah, Jeremiah? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's essentially like Bethany said, Jesus quotes two prophets, actually. He quotes Isaiah in saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But then he quotes the prophet Jeremiah, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. That's interesting to me because I think we see, I think biblically, how when man gets involved in the dealings of God's house or his church, we often tend to turn it away from, or veer the ship away from what Christ intends it to be. Mm. So you have the example of Jeremiah. So, oh, oh, okay, back up. Isaiah, he's, he's foretelling, he's prophesying about God's church, his house being a house of prayer. Jeremiah is warning the church in his day because they have now turned it into a den of thieves. Now you fast forward to Christ. Christ again is both reinstating the original intent of the church, but also, um, uh, I guess, rewarning the church of them veering the ship of what the church should really be, a house of prayer. I don't know if that makes sense, but for me it shows, I think, um, our tendency uh, you know, I think as pastors, because primarily Jesus was dealing with leaders um, in these two cases, you know, um, but, but I think we need to, as a church, be careful of what we're turning the church into, I think, yeah. for, and know that we have the tendency, you know, biblically to, 
turn the ship far from what Jesus desires it to be. And you guys, we all see it in church today. And, and, you know, not just in Hilltop, but across the board. We see that prayer becomes very marginalized. It becomes like secondary, not really important. Only when there's crisis, you know. Um, It's just very, it's not necessarily first place ministry, right? Mm -hmm. We don't give like our attention to it and see it as a vital role um, in the life of our church. And this is where I think we, um, in many other ministries, we're not alone in this, um, are changing the game a little bit. We're making prayer first, and we use these texts to remind us of our humanity and what we can very much turn the church into, of which Jesus has confronted, Jeremiah had warned, and Isaiah foretold. And, you know, it's interesting, the language, because obviously Jeremiah um, kind of crafted the language, and then Jesus was quoting him. But when he talks about it, making into a den of thieves, and and we specifically see that there was the buying and the selling. And ultimately, what is that unto? It's unto personal gain. And, you know, if all of us here were honest, there are specific things that for us, you know, we want out of a church, like some people, they definitely want very systematic theology to be taught and instructed, which is important and valuable. Um, but Jesus didn't say, my house shall be a house of theological soundness. Because there's like, no such thing that exists. <laughs> there really isn't. We see in a mirror dimly. Yeah. We will never hold the, no ministry if they believe they have the corner market and understanding doctrine completely. They're, they're lying to you. Um, we, we're, we're going to see this thing perfectly when Christ comes. So we need not to fret. We need to get close to the mark, but we shouldn't make it an idol in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I mean, we find that he's giving us the identity and the DNA of what his house is called to be. And first and foremost, it's a place of communing and fellowshipping with him. And, you know, all of us are familiar and aware that in a lot of ways, the church has become about serving the needs of people. There's, there's a huge focus on making it, and obviously we're all gathering, so it's nice to have air conditioning so we're comfortable, and there's Pad certain very, there's certain very uh, practical things that are helpful and make it more conducive to gather a couple of hundred people, but at the end of the day, it's not first and foremost about That's right. us. That's right. And about you having your needs met. And I can honestly say that when we put first things first, oh, meaning that we minister to Christ first... There's something that it sets in order, but there is a place of blessing that's released even upon us because it's right. what we need is encounter with Christ. Amen. Amen. That, that's what we need. And so he's ultimately saying that when you come to my house, it's to be a place of prayer yeah. that is called to be a house of prayer. And so we can look at Hilltop Church. We can look at the Church of America and any place that we are deviating from that intended purpose we are in error. That's right. There's a place of error. And even as a community of people, it needs to be the identity and the function that we're wrestling for is to be a praying people, a community. And actually, as of October 1st, because we won't get into all of it today, um, but October 1st, we'll be doing the Book of Acts. And when you look at the birthing of the New Testament church, they were a praying community. If you look at Book of Acts chapter after cha- chapter, their identity, their function, their reality of gathering together daily was the place of prayer. And it's astounding to see. And so it's that model that we're called to. We'll be clear here too. Not every, like I would call, the culture of prayer looks like J-Hop or no. uh, an international house of prayer, right? Um, I think essentially it should be in the spirit of what we see in David, in the tabernacle of David, right? should be in that spirit. Um, But what we're really going after is just uh, a prayerful people. 
on a prayerless people, you know. Um, and so by no means, no way uh, are we saying it looks like J-Hop. It's a close, it's a close um, uh, reflection. It, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. It's a very close reflection. Um, uh, but, but mainly what we're going after is um, we as a church don't, we, we hold our place a high value on prayer above all you know we think it's just as if bethany shared a couple sundays all ministry should be born out of prayer and that's just not us to our prayer clauses that's us praying and engaging in prayer together um and as Daryl was talking about just and that's what we're going to look at now is the tabernacle of david and kind of where we find this model but in the book of acts is actually where it was spoken and quoted in the passage in Amos. And that's actually what we find in Amos is on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by name and by my name, says the Lord. Um, who sa- thus says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman man will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And the mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all of the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the, the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And they, they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. And I will plant them in the land and no longer shall they be pulled from the land. It goes on, um, and this basically this is Amos prophesying, and then in Acts it's being echoed once again as far as this the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. And so what we see is yes, that is a physical place, and that was a physical place, and that we find that the temple in Jerusalem. But what we find is the New Testament reality in the book of Acts is that we are called to be the house of prayer. That the church is called to be the house of prayer. Go ahead. No, sorry. No, you finish. I'm sorry. Um, no, I was just going to start going over. Okay. Real quick about Amos. Interesting. Uh, the first, I think, 10 verses of that chapter that Bethany just cited. She actually cited 11 through 15, I believe. But the first um, 10 verses of that chapter, um, Amos prophesies about the destruction of Israel. And then where she picked up in verse 11, he starts, again, speaking by the Spirit saying that God will rebuild Israel. So it's kind of like this, I don't know, segue, if you would. So it goes from destruction to rebuilding. Interestingly, God, through his spirit, through communicating through Amos, would put an emphasis on first building the tabernacle of David. Mm. After destruction. So that right there should give us insight of the importance the Lord places in this case, the tabernacle of David, but just on prayer. It seems to be pretty important. You know, he could have been like, hey, you know, we're going to rebuild the, the, the streets of the city. We're going to rebuild the, the houses and whatnot. But, but he starts off after speaking by the Spirit, talking about destruction coming upon Israel. He starts off by saying, I'm going to rebuild after the destruction the tabernacle of David. I think that's remarkable. And that's what I have to say about Amen. that. Amen. So for those of you that are like, okay, Tabernacle of David, what are they talking about? Let's back up a little bit. There was actually, 
the tabernacle of Moses. Are you guys familiar that as they were wandering, you know, through the, the wilderness, that they kind of erected this tent, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant was? This is basically the place where they stewarded the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And when you go back to Moses, and this was the instruction that was given to the Levites, is that, that, never, that never was the fire on the altar to go out, that basically the priests were supposed to tend to the fire on the altar. This was all type and shadow. This was just like a picture of what was to come. And the understanding was that the the flame and the fire is symbolic of the presence of God. That pretty much that they were supposed to tend to it, so never would the fire of the presence of God go out. And so there was the cultivating of this fire. And so what we find in Moses' day is it was it was sacrifice. It was basically kind of this order of sacrifice. And this is where this was the symbol of God's presence and the carrying of God's presence with them. But what we find with David is that basically David's looking, um, and if you guys study it like yourselves and take more time, in 1 Chronicles 15 through 17 is actually where we find that David is basically lamenting in his heart. He's basically saying that the ark of God, the presence of God is dwelling in this this tent while I dwell in these beautiful house, uh, this beautiful house of cedar. Wow. And he starts lamenting, basically saying, I want to build a dwelling place. I want to build a place for God. That, that becomes his desire. And we actually find, um, this is the vow of David in Psalm 132. Um, it says, and he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house, nor will I go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. This was David's, and this is why I'm saying I want us, it's not so much even about the fact that they had 400 singers and musicians and all the technical details of the fact that it was 24-7 and how extraordinary it was. There was an extraordinary cry from a man's heart that he valued the presence of God and he knew that worship should be the central thing. He knew that worship was the central piece and he wanted to see that um, honored and revered and reverenced and, and, and placed in its rightful place. And so this is where you find David. This is his vow. I mean, how many of us would make the kind of vow or statement before God of, I don't want to go to the comfort of my own home because I so long to see your dwelling place in the earth. That basically I'm not going to find rest for myself. I'm not going to make my life about building my own resting place and dwelling place. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I remember being like 18, 19 years old and people talking about like the American dream being a house with a white picket fence. And I'm like, really? That's the American dream. I'm like, I don't get it. But then, sad. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, it, it didn't register. But then the older that you get, and when you're building a family, and when you want to expand your family, a lot of it comes down to the, this thing that we call our house. And a lot of like our identity, wow. a, lot of, a, a lot of those things end up being around like the place where you call home. And, you know, a lot of us, uh, like, will basically think that it's a reflection of our status in life. It's a reflection of, like, how much we make, how successful we are, you know, all of those things. And basically, David's saying that my life isn't first and foremost about building a place of comfort for me. My life is first and foremost about building building a dwelling place. Could you imagine if a generation, if we had that kind of zeal? For, and I'm not talking even about a specific place in Cambridge. I'm talking about that the presence of God would be cultivated in steward. Do we have that kind of allegiance and passion for the presence of God? 
that that's what we would cultivate first and foremost, because that's ultimately what this is, was about for David. It was about the presence of God dwelling in the glory of God. Do you, before we move on to no, Solomon. No, I, 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 what can you do with that? <laughs> I'll start preaching the gospel right now. Let's <laughs> repent. That's good. But, you know, this, is, this, was, this was what provoked it, is basically there was this place of the ark of God's presence, but he, he wanted, he longed for something more. He saw the value and that's ultimately what worship and prayer comes down to, is us seeing the value of the man Christ Jesus. I'm going to say this to you right now. Your worship life, your life of devotion and prayer is a direct reflection of how much you value the man Christ Jesus. You know, we can say, I value him. I, I need him. No, 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 no. If you're not on your knees in the place of seeking him and desiring him, you actually don't need him. You say that you do. But the, what we see even with David is that it adjusted the priorities of his life. That it no longer was about how much sleep he could get. Most of us, like, if we didn't get our full eight hours, we need to bump our prayer time because, oh my God, if I don't... I mean, hear me, I like my sleep sure. as well. When we but, get it. But our, our, our value is for our own place of comfort and ease, not so much for the presence of God. So this is where we find David, and this is the longing of David's heart, is basically, I, I don't want the Ark of God, I don't want the Ark of Covenant dwelling in a tent while I'm dwelling in a cedar house. I want to see a, a resting place established for, for the Lord. So basically, this is where, and yes, in David's lifetime, he basically instituted a model. And when he instituted the model, it did stay in a tent. And it was his son, Solomon, who built the temple. And what do we find at the dedication of the temple? This lets you know God's pleasure. After the building of the temple, when it's dedicated, the glory of God floods the temple. I mean, that lets you know, hey, I like this. I'm coming to dwell in this. This makes me happy. Because you know what it was? It was a place where he was desired. There was a place prepared for him. And this is ultimately what we have to do as people. We, we have to be people that desire him so much that we'll be inconvenienced to create and prepare a place for him to dwell. This is awesome, right? But... <laughs> No, but I seriously, I'm a, I'm a facts guy. You know, I'm a heart. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. How many of us today, me included, are willing to be this extravagant in measuring our value systems? I'm going to tell you, if we're going to build a house of prayer, it's going to be inconvenient. Everything about our faith is inconvenient. And I would say more so that when Christ walked into the temple... That's what he was dealing with. Not necessarily, let's, let's, let's build the tabernacle of David again, but it was the heart that David had where, where his Good. value systems were in place. You know, I know my message last Sunday wasn't too hot, you know, but here's the deal. We need to have a bigger um, uh, scope, a more of an awe within us of heaven, you know, where the things of this world become so Amen. dim. This is going to inconvenience us as a body. Um, but I don't think that's unscriptural. I actually think our faith is a bit inconvenient at time, inconvenient at time. And, um, and so let's get to the heart of this. I mean, what I think God wants to do in our midst is create within us the heart like his servant David had. Amen. Amen. So we find that David actually set in place 288 prophetic singers. Very specifically, do you imagine, can you imagine 288? Yes, All this paid. is what they did. Like, this was full time. Don't get too excited about that. <laughs> and 4,000 musicians. 
That's a lot of musicians. A lot of musicians. It's like a mega church in America. I have no ambition. It's your to, worship team. I have no ambition. We're gonna to mega worship team. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I, I have no ambition to build a large church, but when I read this, I was like, oh, we Kinda need, need 5,000 people to have a house of prayer the way that David did. You just commission all of those people in the church to steward prayer sets. Um, but yeah, this is actually what you find. But you know what I love is for those of us here that, you know, we think that there's, it's not necessary like to sing and we're kind of like, well, can't I just pray without? Number one, we need to understand that basically worship is just prayer put to song. Look at Psalms. That's precisely uh, that's ex- precisely what it is. It's 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 prayer that is uh, done in a musical way. Yeah, that's it? and and ultimately, it's what's happening in heaven. Is there's a cry of worship and a cry of prayer that's happening around the throne God, room, music, day and night. But actually, so when what basically when when David was bringing the ark and kind of setting this in motion, what we actually find is he calls all these singers and all these musicians, and this just kind of lets you know the tone and the environment. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. It was a celebration. They, they were celebrating. There was joy in the presence of God. And this is actually fine. You can look through the whole account in First um, Chronicles 15, but this is actually, most of us are familiar. This is at the end, the account that most of us are aware of in verse 29, where it says, and it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that, that Mikael, um, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. He was whirling, like he basically couldn't contain it. You know, there was this expression of joy. So we find it's actually the model. Yes, we do prayer meetings, and prayer is the important um, central piece, but it's in the context of worship. It's, it's in the context of hearts of adoration and devotion. And we find that model and we find that understanding um, in what King David set in place. And so David, so if you're kind of like, well, that was David's thing. Mm. Like David did that thing. Oh, no, 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 no. You have to understand, study Israel's history. There's six subsequent times after David established this and then his son actually built the temple that's Solomon. Then there's five subsequent times that kings literally would come on the scene. And when the nation had turned aside and they were in rebellion and they were all a mess, they would, they would call them back to the place of worship and they would reinstitute day and night worship and prayer. They would call them to that central place and that vocation of ministering first to the Lord. And when you study those times in history and those kings that did that, there was unprecedented blessing. You know, do we do it for the blessing? Absolutely not. But you have to understand that the presence of God brings blessing. That where there, his presence is, that there's blessing upon us because we're created to live and to dwell in his presence. Before we go into the timeline? No? Okay. So Solomon was um, 1010 B.C., is actually when we find that um, Solomon established the temple. And then we find in 853 BC, and you can find this in 2 Kings 11 through 12, is Joash. There was the restoration of day and, day and night offerings and worship, which led to a season of renewal for Judah. Then we find Hezekiah in 76 BC, um, that when worship was the center place that the nation prospered. Then we find King um, Josiah 
in 635 BC, which is in 2 Chronicles 34 through 35. Then we find Zerubbabel in 538 BC, which you can find in Ezra 310, and then Nehemiah um, in 446 BC, which you can find in Nehemiah 12, 45 through 47. Um, and then as we were talking about earlier, then you actually find, that's Old Testament history, and then you find Jesus coming into the same temple and declaring that what the temple is called to be and ordained to be. Did you have anything before we? Okay. I just wanted to repeat, repeat it. Oh, okay. okay. Um, just making sure he doesn't have any additional points on that. And then what we find um, is all throughout Jesus' teaching on prayer is we find that this it's not so much a casual approach, and we don't have time to get into it today, but we'll just close out with in Luke 18. This is where Jesus is giving an instruction, and once again, he's, he's saying, pray always and never lose out. Uh, actually, let's turn there. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18. Most of us are familiar with this passage. Um, this is where Jesus gives the instruction pray always, that we should pray always and never lose heart, um, that there is in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me and for my adversary. Um, and he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. In verse 6, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. In verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith upon the earth? This is just, just for sake of time, this is just one place that we can highlight where Jesus gives instruction about prayer. But we find that when he gives instruction about prayer, he emphasizes this issue of day and night. That it's not something that we take a casual approach to. It's something that there's a posture. And in that, Jesus actually says, when the Son of Man comes will he really find faith upon the earth? And ultimately what he's saying is him finding faith upon the earth is directly connected to us crying out day and night. That prayer is cultivated and it's increased in our lives when we stand and we remain in the posture of prayer. And so just for time's sake, um, you know, because we want to move on to some other practical things, but if you look at the Old Testament and look at the New Testament, that ultimately for us to function in the place that, God has ordained for his church to function. And in order for us to fulfill the purpose that he's called us to fulfill, it comes from this place of functioning as a praying community. Um, before we go into the practicals, did you have any other things that you wanted to share? Well, no, I think for the sake of time, I would be repeating a lot of things. So let's just okay. follow this track. Through. So so basically, there, an update regarding the house of prayer is where we are now. Actually, why don't we have anybody that's leading a prayer set, whether you're a worship leader, leader a prayer Prayer leader, why don't you stand your feet? Because we have a good number of people that are helping us to sustain um, the house of prayer. And first and foremost, we just want to say thank, thank you, you to thank all of you. You know, as a community of people. So, thank you. Because there's many of us that get to come to the prayer room because you're you faithfully sit. there. You, you know, and it's because someone makes the commitment to be there every day at that time. 
Um, I don't know how many of you guys were here when we kind of prayed and released um, Christina Ho a couple of weeks ago, and she was um, went to Harvard Law and then came back. But you know, a lot of her testimony as far as the way that God met her in Boston, it's directly related to the fact that she took a prayer set and during her student years, even when that was not convenient, and then her professional years. And I think one of the things that has always moved me even about her is that she was, um, Fabiano's going to get our son. Is that where you're? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We're doing this together. So I, I had somebody that would take care of our son if we got chimed. Um, so basically, she not only came and led a prayer set, which obviously added strength to our community and other people got to be blessed because of her posture, but she found that it was her sustaining factor through those years of school where the Lord would meet her. Um, and so we have extraordinary worship leaders and prayer leaders that it's because you guys are there faithfully that other people can come and join. And so we want to thank you. And there's approximately 30 hours um, a week that's happening, but one day a month, we have Night Watch, which Allegra, if you'll stand to your feet. So Allegra is leading Night Watch, and it's the third Friday of every month. And what we actually realized from looking at the schedule and the calendar is on that third Friday, which is basically from Friday morning. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to like put all the pieces, but we actually have 24 hours of prayer covered within that span of time when they're doing night watch, um, except for like basically a five hour period. There's like a two hour block, um, Friday morning and like a two hour block Friday afternoon. Um, but it's 24 hours, you know, for that one day a month. Um, and I mean, that's significant for us, but also in new England, um, there's actually an effort being made that all throughout the new England States, basically individual churches would adopt one 24 hour period and that all throughout new England, basically it would be covered with 24-hour prayer by one church just taking one day a month. And so we as J-Hop and Hilltop, basically for that third Friday of the month, we would be that 24-hour. And we ultimately at this point just need those two blocks to be filled the morning and the evening. Um, so number one, we want to we encourage us as a church to participate in that 24-hour window during that third Friday of the month. Even if you can't lead a set, Go jump in a prayer set because we're going to fill those. I mean, I know from amongst us, we're going to be able to fill those last two prayer sets so that we can boldly say the third Friday of the month, there'll be 24-hour prayer. But I want to encourage us as a community of people, let's, during the third Friday of the month, set aside a portion of time that you find yourself in that prayer, prayer room. Um, and also, I just want to encourage you, if you're interested in helping us to sustain that 24-hour period and fill in those, those gaps, you should totally come to the info in the intro meeting next week so we can give you details regarding that. Did you have anything else? Yeah. Um, oh, sorry about that. Uh, you know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but if you look at the numbers who come through Hilltop and then you look at the numbers who come through the House of Prayer and actually people from our church participating maybe just joining in a prayer set or maybe leading a prayer. They're massively disproportionate. And that is, um, that's, not, that's nothing I say other than for this. Um, it, it is our desire, guys, hear us. Yes, we're not just looking to build the nice, new, flashy church. We're far from that, right? But um, 
our, our, our desire still as a church is to focus in, in the spirit of David. Amen. You know, not just build our own little kingdoms and empires and churches, because much of those can become kingdoms and empires in themselves. But our, our desire is to um, build the house of God. And, and we see that it's, it's, it's fitting that we do it in this manner. Uh, this is what God has given us. We're not, we're not saying that we'll ever, I don't know, maybe we will get to 24-7. But you know what? As long as there's breath in these lungs and there's a determination in my spirit, we're going to go after it the best we can. But I say all this to just say, we want to even those numbers out. Meaning we want more of our church to be part of what is really lifing this whole thing that we're doing as Hilltop Church. And that is that prayer room. Um. And so I don't want to be a, a, a prayerless people. I want to be a prayerful people. And, and we have an extraordinary opportunity. We have a location. We already have a lot of sets that are man and covered. Um, and, and we're looking to add to these things. So if you are in any way interested or inspired, um, come to that intro meeting the 24th mm-hmm. and, and be with us and hear more. It's not clean. It's not pretty all the time. But it is prayer. And, and there's, there's some real strong things and in, in, in momentum that happens in those two rooms over on uh, Western Avenue. Mm, amen. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we covered everything. Uh, essentially, we, just, we, we, we designed this to um, just, I guess, start. Um, what we're looking to do is to, um, is, is to now focus, as we feel... Not that we've perfected, but we feel like we've got a little good traction under our feet as a church, that it's time to go back and look at the house of prayer and see if there's any places where we're not reflecting the spirit of David, um, where we're only just interested in building a big ministry. Because everybody gets church, you know? <laughs> you know, everybody, like, it's no new thing. Everybody, we love it, you know? But house of prayer is a different thing. And um, listen, if you're encouraged by this time, I'd encourage you to get to that intro meeting and uh, come be with us. Mm -hmm. Other than that, guys, we love you. We do. Uh, We hope that this time was helpful. Too, if you're um, you're new with us um, this morning, if you're visiting, stop by the info center. We have a couple um, uh, cheerful peeps over there that just want to connect with you. Um, We also have a gift, but that's only if you're interested in connecting to this body in some way, some fashion, relationally. Um, other than that, we love you. We do this every Sunday. Join us again, 10 o'clock. And hey, listen, spread the word about the 930 uh, service that we're going to be starting October 1st. Um, we're believing good things, big things. So as we go forward, may God get the glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Woo!